Radio Drone. Welcome to another Thursday night that's not a Thursday night because this is Radio Drone. So even if it airs on a Thursday night, that doesn't mean you're listening to it on a Thursday night. We're not recording it on a Thursday night. So it's probably not a Thursday night, but for all intents and purposes, it's a Thursday night. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is not Cecil, who is sick as hell right now. Not Peter, who is sick as hell right now, which is kind of weird that they're both sick at the same time. I think something's up with that, especially because they're in different countries. But I'll let that go for right now. So we're going to skip the whole year's thing that we've been doing until Cecil and Peter come back hopefully next week. I asked my friend Fred Fritz to sit in. We're going to look at a different kind of topic. Hey, and I'm just mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I don't care how mad you are. You're going to take it. Oh, okay. I'm straight. Before we get into the topic, what you people need to do is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME and you will get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order. You'll get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, what I want to talk about tonight with you, Fred, is we've been seeing this for years. Has nostalgia exploitation gone too far? The fact that we have a exploitation subgenre. You've got Italian exploitation, black exploitation, hick exploitation, nun exploitation. Nostalgia exploitation is an actual subgenre now. All of these throwback movies and TV shows and whatnot. Is it sad that nostalgia exploitation is actually a thing now? Well, uh, is it sad? I'm going to say no. I, I think it. I, by the way, uh, you brought this up to me, and I got to say, I, I agree that th- I think this is a thing now. I, I that's a perfect term for it too. Nostalgia pl- exploitation. I don't think it's a sad thing. I just think it's a uh, it's a callback, if you will, to uh, it seems like over the last it seems like right around 2000. We've talked about this before on your show that right around 2000, it seems like we lost our way in the cinema. Uh, it just seems as if films kind of began to lose their way. Directors didn't seem to know how to tell a, a, co- a, a cohesive story. Uh, everything was the blockbuster formula to the point we were screaming, you know, uh, please, no more. And it feels like we're going back to the beginning. Like people, you know, it's not like we're getting these great filmmakers. We're getting filmmakers who are starting over, if you know what I'm saying. They feel like we're starting from square one again. And it's like, oh, how do you tell a story? And how do you introduce characters? And I honestly think that there's a little bit of that, that people are going back to what used to work and hoping that eh, maybe we can eke a few dollars out of that while we're at it. But by what I mean by by nostalgia exploitation is... You've got all of these old 80s properties, things that were new in the 80s are now being made into big budget movies or their new TV series or whatnot. You've Mm -hmm. also got sequels 20, 30 years later to old movies. You have new movies being done in the style of old movies that basically right now everything is looking at mainly the 80s, although the 90s and the 70s, there's still some exploitation going on there. But right now, Mm -hmm. it's mainly the 1980s that everyone is mining and there and what happens when you mine something you leave a hollow shell and i think that's what's yeah. happening look at all of the 80s let's just say the cartoons right now all of the 80s cartoon properties that have been turned into let's face it one after another terrible big budget movie that absolutely misses the freaking point of what the cartoon was Gem in the Holograms, Transformers, G.I. Joe. They've been trying to make a Thundercats one forever. They've been trying... John Woo's been trying to make a He-Man movie forever. And no, the 1987 He-Man movie doesn't count as exploitation because the cartoon was still on the air at that time. So that right, wasn't right. that wasn't He-Man exploitation. Now one talks about Voltron. And basically, you name an 80s action property, 
it's now being tur- either turned into a big budget movie or they're trying to turn it into a big budget movie. Well, let's just say I'll, I'll agree with you, uh, but with one sidebar that the properties you named were not exactly deep to begin with. Yeah, they had kind of a, a I don't want to say a rich mythology. That's not what I want to say. Uh, they, they were all pretty shallow, actually, but they had a lot of characters. Uh, they were fantastical in their very nature. I, I don't know if it was all there to begin with. Um, you know, I, I, I know a term you like to use is nostalgia goggles. And when we go back and look at those, uh, they're not so great, but they definitely had that value. And I think you're right. I think they're being exploited now simply because at one time they had a lot of value in people's hearts. And as I said, we don't really have that today. There's nothing grabbing people today, not in that way. And so I think they're just going back to the beginning and mining a few dollars. So let's just say I'll agree. I think it's a little more shallow than even you made it out there with mining a few dollars. I think there's more shallowness here. It's just, hey, the people who grew up on these are now the main ticket buyers. So we need to pander to them. I think it is literal pandering to that audience yet they seem to get it wrong again and again and again. For instance, like Transformers, the Michael Bay, Steven Spielberg Transformers movies. By the way, on those, why does Steven Spielberg always get a pass? Everyone blames Michael Bay for those train wrecks. You guys know Spielberg produced those too, yet he always seems to get a pass when the blame's being passed around. Those movies could not be more different than the cartoon they're supposedly based on, to the point where you kind of go, did you really expect the people who loved the cartoon to like that? It, it, it's like like Gem in the Holograms, the Blumhouse Gem in the Holograms movie that was such a train wreck. That was such a box office disaster last year. You have to ask yourself, who really was this movie made for? Ostensibly, it's made for people who were fans of Gem in the Holograms. Mm-hmm. But you changed every single thing about it, and you made it f- literally for a, a pitch-perfect audience. So who did you make this movie for? The people who are the pitch-perfect audience don't know who Gem and the Holograms are, and the people who know who Gem and the Holograms are can't stand the type of movie you turned it into. So who did you make it for? Well, I think you just hit something when you talked about the Pitch Perfect audience, that this one's in reverse. You know, they've already mined Pitch Perfect, and so uh, they're looking around. Oh, what's Pitch Perfect like? And we see that with everything. Deadpool is this gargantuan hit right now, and Hollywood is scrambling Looking, you know, what's another obscure, R-rated, vulgar, crass comic book movie? And, you know, we're already seeing weird comments about, yeah, there's a new cut of Batman versus Superman that'll hit DVD and Blu-ray. It'll be R-rated. You know, this is nothing new. Uh, I think they just kind of looked at Pitch Perfect, thought, well, what can we exploit? That's the key word here. You 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 named this nostalgia exploitation, and that's it. They are exploiting that element from the 80s. They're literally exploiting it to mine those dollars. It doesn't matter the plot, characters. They're just exploiting that name. And they do it over and over again. They they look down on these properties. They don't consider them for adults. They just want to exploit the name, period. Let's look at the RoboCop remake. The RoboCop remake is bad for mul- a multitude of reasons, but for nostalgia exploitation, they misjudged their audience so massively. Because initially there was supposed to be a RoboCop 4. That uh, initially they were going to take the same concept of you know the 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 drones in Iraq and all that and whatnot. It was supposed to be RoboCop 4, and and that was in the mid 2000s. 
and then they kind of went, no, you know, nobody wants a sequel 20 years later, so let's do a reboot. Then that way it's fresh for the kids, the new audience who did not grow up with RoboCop. We, we make a movie, this is their term, for them. This is their RoboCop. They pissed all over the fans of the original franchise to pander to fans of what they hoped would be a new franchise. Then what happened at the box office? They found 70% of ticket sales were to people over 30. So basically they said, wait, you mean the old audience is the ones who wanted this? And the new audience who we made this movie for doesn't give a shit? Talk about mis misjudging who your audience is, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a chimera. They they start out with one project and this is where all these hands are in the pot and each one has to have their say. And, you know, one wants it to be a stirring drama. One wants it to be a commentary. One wants it to be a satire. And then yet another person says, no, it's got to be like the original. And then it comes out being, you know, this this flopping fish you know, part fish, part man, part beast, and it's nothing. And and we see this over and over and over again, constantly. A weird look back through nostalgia goggles to an era that everyone makes fun of, but is so keen to revisit. I'm a VHS collector. You're a VHS collector. We grew up in the era of VHS. We love that. Have you noticed how many VHS throwbacks are made today? How many... YouTube videos, I mean, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, people put, if The Walking Dead had come out in the 1980s or the 1990s, and they add tape hits and tracking lines, and you've got a, you've mm -hmm. got games like Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon, which has got a whole lot of VHS imagery in it. You've got stuff like Kung Fury and, and whatnot. And I mean, hell, Bonnie McKee is one of those auto-tune pop star singers like a Britney Spears. Her, her newest video, Bombastic, is all of a VHS throwback with a soft focus, tape lines, everything. And it's like, what is with the VHS throwback? All these people hated VHS. I mean, a lot of them were too young. Like Bonnie McKee, she was born in 1984. So by the time she got to high school, DVD was on its way in. She doesn't remember VHS. So to make a music video that's all about making it look like a VHS recording... What's with the, the nostalgia goggles of VHS? These are the same people, in my mind, say in 2002, you could not have gotten to watch a VHS tape because DVD is where it is now. It's digital and soft picture and I got to deal with tracking. Now all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's so kitschy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that what you have there is, is just the follow-up to a trend that was occurring uh, once YouTube became a viable entity and then uh, the rise of what a lot of people call the review averse which we won't go off on that tangent you know what do they what did the review of use review averse use more than anything else vhs's and that's where a lot of their movies came from they weren't using fresh off the dvd press they were using these old obscure movies that nobody cared about that the copyright systems didn't go after and so i think what you're seeing is an outcropping of that. It's like, oh, there people like that? Oh, well, we got to exploit that and we got to put that in our videos and our movies and it's just a continuation of a trend. They they see it's, you know, sort of like when you went back to uh you're talking about hunting for VHSs. Uh, I'm sure you're a convention goer from the old days and you, you know, you go on the hunt and you're looking for those obscure and unusual, unusual movies and when you go to cons, they were the first start 
having movies with commentaries on them and deleted scenes and you could see aliens, you know, the, the James Cameron cut. And after a while, the studios were like, wait, people want that stuff. They, you know, they want the deleted scenes. They want commentaries. And what happened? Laserdisc got it, went over into DVD. When they smell money, man, they're like bloodhounds. I think sharks would be a better analogy. Well, that's I think that's what happens when it turns into a frenzy. In fact, that's a good analogy if you look at what's going on right now. They were following the money. Now they're all biting at each other. They're they're all tearing each other apart to get to that's how we get one of your favorites, Kung Fury. I think that's a good lead into how we get to that particular title. That's not one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite targets. Exactly. Because I, <laughs> I knew what I was saying. I wanted Kung Fury to be great. The trailer was fantastic. I, I actually think the David Hasselhoff music video is one of the funnest of all the, the throwbacks. I think it's better than the movie. Oh, e easily. Because, yeah. the, the well, can we even call it a movie? It's like 40 minutes long. I, I think, well, if we want to go into the film. whole hour and a half, yeah, all right, short film. But it's, but, it's, it's a film regardless. Yeah. But like Kung Fury is everything that's wrong with with the nostalgia exploitation on on the actual throwback scale. Well, they and miss what we really loved. They actually miss what we loved. Oh, th they missed the point completely. They, they yeah. took now all of the movies that we grew up with. You know, all these direct-to-video films and TV movies and the stuff that's now considered kind of goofy and kitschy, which weirdly enough it wasn't at the time that we grew up on. They latched on to some of the dumber elements in those and some of the tropes of those. And they said, let's play that up to be goofy. And they didn't seem to understand why those tropes were tropes back in the 80s. Because, I mean, Kung Fury on paper works perfect. On paper, it works beautifully. You know, it's insane, and you've got all of these different, you know, you got the the arcade robot, and you've got him fighting Hitler, and, and all of this stuff. And it's got all of the tropes that work on paper, yet somehow... The movie, the film, the short, whatever, it came across as disingenuous and almost talking down to the people that supposedly it was made for. I think the word we're looking for here is snarky. And yeah, it, it feels a bit snarky. I don't know about looking down. He, he's I've seen this guy in interviews and he really does love that period. So I believe that I believe he's genuine. There is a tad bit of snarkiness to it. I, I think to go back to the bit about David Hasselhoff, the video proves what's wrong with the short film and that is david hasselhoff much like if you're going to do an action movie you don't have a lot of time to explain this guy's backstory you hire a tough guy to play him you know what i mean it, before it would have been clint eastwood now it'd be jason statham and they call that cinematic shorthand all right you don't have to explain why this guy's tough he's just tough it's jason statham right when you have somebody like david hasselhoff you don't have to explain why this guy's there you know, we, we know his history and the video is a hundred times more fun right off the bat because you're seeing David do that kind of stuff he would have done. But of course, to the power of 10, it's one of the reasons it's a lot more fun. But the short film also misses the point of where's the story? You have this character, you, you throw in all the tropes and the cliches. I got that, but there's no story. I don't care about this character deadpan he's faceless basically you know we've got his sunglasses he's not a character he's not a real person i don't feel that character whereas with david hasselhoff well there's a little history with him and if it had been david hasselhoff as kung fury i think i would have liked the short film even better what about because there's a whole slew of these type of things like mm -hmm. i have not seen turbo kid yet but cecil trachtenberg says it's it's great and i know you've seen it and you said it's pretty good and 
you know, there, there's a whole lot of these throwback movies now to an 80s style. Well, Turbo Kid gets it where Kung Fury didn't. That's that's the perfect example. Uh, Turbo Kid is my criticism against Kung Fury. You have a, a, a likable lead. Well, actually, there's two likable leads, and you follow them. You feel for them. And the rest of the stuff is just icing on the cake. So every time they do a little nod or a throwback, which, by the way, Michael Ironside is one of those things, and it's wonderful to see him kind of back into his element, just like seeing David Hasselhoff back in his element. There's something about that. And Turbo Kid, though, gives it to you, you know, but with the story, with the characters. I don't think it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. You know me. I'm, I'm a pretty fair reviewer. I try not to hate too much or love too much. I, I try to say exactly what I think it is. And it's a fun movie. And if you like uh, post-apocalyptic movies like I do or like Cecil really does, then I think you'll really enjoy it because guess what? The characters are enjoyable and you don't even have to like post-apocalyptic movies to enjoy it. Uh, it, it gets a little Peter Jackson at time because you can clearly see that's what they're going for. It has that little bit of meet the feebles, bad taste kind of vibe, but still it's got its tongue firmly in its cheek. It's very eighties. The music is very eighties. It gets it. So if Kung Fury left you cold, like it did us go see Turbo Kid. It's really good. Well, but then, See, okay, that Turbo Kid might have gotten it right, but there's a dangerous line that any kind of nostalgia exploitation. I'm talking about now, again, it's not, not like the big budget versions of older things. I'm talking about the ones where you're actually making a movie that is exploiting the nostalgia by making a movie like, quote unquote, the era that it came from. You gotcha. have something, you have something like the, what, 25 years later sequel of, of like Samurai Cop 2. Oh. Whenever, whenever you make, whenever you make a cult movie to be a cult movie, whenever you go in saying we're making a cult movie, it never ever works. That's part of why Kung Fury didn't work. They went in saying we're gonna make this a cult movie, and it did not work at all. And then like Samurai Cop, the original, the reason it got such a cult around it is because it was so honest and so unaware of itself. Samurai Cop 2 is completely a 90-minute wink, 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 wink at the audience. They know exactly what kind of movie they're making. God, does it not work. Samurai Cop, the original, works, and people love it for the same reason I think that they love Plan 9 from Outer Space and some other of these type of movies, and that's because these films were made with love, and... We could that there, we could do an entire episode on this concept of when somebody loves what they're doing, it somehow bleeds into the project. It's just there. Somehow it gets ingrained in it. And you can tell these people are having fun and it's goofy and it's weird. Samurai Cop was a movie I never would have expected to like. And it's just 90 minutes of just a good time. Samurai Cop 2 is, and, and you know, my respect to the hard work that some of those people, I won't say which, <laughs> but some of those people, you can see they're trying, man. They, they, they're giving it everything they got. The problem with Samurai Cop 2, mostly it's lazy. And exactly what you're talking about, this thing is relying 100% on, did you, did you see the first? Oh, did you get what we did there? Oh, did you see that person from the first film? Oh, did you get that, you know, lion's head in the background? It's just, it's painful to watch. But then there's also the aspect of bringing something back. I mean, it, I can't remember what year Samurai Cop 
came out, but you know, 20, 25 years ago. There also is a weird thing about the interest coming back to you know a sequel all these years later. Okay, Army of Darkness doesn't technically count in this, but it was the last Evil Dead movie. Now, all of a sudden in 2015, we got Ash vs. Evil Dead, a series that, as much as I enjoyed, didn't really need to exist. I mean, I mean, really, the entire story, the, the, 10, the 10 or 12 episodes that it was, took forever to get where it was going to the point where you could have just made an Evil Dead 4 out of that exact same story and not had all of the filler in it. I mean, really, the, the plot's that thin that you could have just made this 10-episode show into a movie and not really lost a whole lot. But you kind of go, wait a minute, it's been 25 years since the last Evil Dead movie. Why now? Why now? Because nostalgia exploitation. Why not now? I think that's sometimes a bigger concern. Not why, it's why not. Well, I think for this one, we have to go back to the fact that there's a, a remake uh, of Evil Dead. And uh, Bruce Campbell has said in an interview that people were saying they enjoyed the film, but where's Ash? And every convention he's ever been to, where's Ash? In, in this one case, I'm going to allow for the fact that fans have wanted to see Ash again. That's the why now in this particular case. Th this one case... I've been to the cons, I've talked to friends, and yeah, this one people keep saying, where's Ash? We want Ash. Even at the end of the remake, there was one little bit with Bruce Campbell's voice, and that's all people talked about. So to be fair, that's why they wanted that one. Now, as for the show itself, I couldn't agree more. This is the most paper-thin excuse for a series I've seen in a while. You could literally, all you need is the first two episodes, and the last two episodes, and you can just drop the rest. There is nothing plot-wise in those episodes. Uh, I guess it could be argued a little growth for Ash, but then again, if you watch the little last two episodes, there's not <laughs> much there of that even. So uh, I can't agree more. It, it just it, for me, it was a huge letdown, and they couldn't get the rights to Army of Darkness. So this is technically a direct sequel to Evil Dead Two. Figure out how that one works. I, I'm sorry. I wanted to like it, and I just didn't. I really, really hated it. And I hate to say that. I do. Well, but I mean, you even have, like, now, obviously we haven't seen it because it ran into production problems, but, like, Westworld being turned into a TV series on HBO. And you mm -hmm. kind of go, Westworld? Yeah, you of all that, things. That movie from the 70s? Why now would Westworld be a TV series? Because first of all, there, there already was a sequel, and a lot of people forget in 1980, there was Beyond Westworld. It already had a TV series that was canceled after three episodes. Mm -hmm. So you kind of got to wonder what HBO is thinking. Why, why is HBO thinking there's definitely an audience for this now? Well, the same thing with Tremors. Tremors had a TV series. Well, it had several direct-to-video sequels, a TV series, and now Kevin Bacon is mounting a TV series of his own for Tremors. But this one will be on a bigger network than sci-fi. So I, I think it's the same mentality that birthed that. But then what causes the nostalgia exploitation? Is this, is this an Ouroboros? Is this a snake eating its own tail? Caused by us, the fans, not letting go of the past... And then the studios looking for something to make money on, seeing how we're not letting go of the past, but not understanding why we won't let go of the past. Is this an Ouroboros? Are we feeding the nostalgia exploitation genre unintentionally? 
it is. That's what's happening. So that's why it's yes. That's obviously what's happening. It is a snake eating its tail, and it's it's we eat it, we regurgitate it, we leave it, and we reheat it and eat it again. But it also comes back to what I had said at the very beginning, at the onset, that I think that there's also a I, I wish I could think of the word I'm 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 desperately searching for here, but we're bereft of story ideas in Hollywood. They've they've recycled the same seven for so long that it's like they're confused and they're lost and they're like, but we need to make money now. <laughs> you can almost see them frantically and desperately, you know, hoping to find something. And it's it's like, well, what do people love? And again, nostalgia, as you've already pointed out, clearly is, is, is a thing. And so let's exploit it and let's keep exploiting it and let's exploit it to death. And hey, is it still making money? Well, let's do this over here. Let's do that. Good grief. If we just look at the list of things that are planned and or coming out, we have, think about this one. Speaking of movies to TVs to movies, we have My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 coming out. Now, who called for this one? I, I mean, seriously, was somebody chomping at the bit for that to return? The TV After series a, tanked really oh, hard, Oh, big remember? time. And it's like, okay, at the beginning of the year, and for those who uh, watch the Oscars, uh, Mad Max Fury Road's cleaning up. That's also playing back to nostalgia. But at the same time, at least that's its original creator. And he wanted to do this. And he's wanted to do this for some time. And people are loving that. And so you just know... That's because Fury Road kicked major ass. Well, Fury Road rocked. But it, it still falls into this category we're talking about, though. It, it is pulling back those feelings. It goes to show it can be done... Let me just say this right now for clarity on this. I don't care if it's a sequel, a remake, an adaption. I don't care what something is. Any of these things can be good when they're done with care. When they're done by people who love doing it. A television series is nothing more than a, 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 con, a continual sequel. And of course, you know, there's continual storylines that are written now. We have Breaking Bad and Justified. So I know people throw that out. I'm just saying that week after week after week, these people provide a story with these same characters, with these same scenarios. You can do this stuff with love and with care. And that's what it takes to make a movie. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it is feeding on nostalgia. If you put Fury Road works because that film has more work put into it. If you watch just those things on YouTube about the making of, look at the amount of time and effort and work and care put into that. If that kind of thought process went into, what, 60, 70% of these movies, can you imagine what we'd have? It's laziness. It's lazy, cash-grubbing carrying capacity to its fullest and we're all dying out you know they've they've pushed it to its furthest extent and it's it's starting we're starting to feel the uh the weight of it well speaking of that let's look at not understanding the new time you're bringing something into and that would be the x-files now the x-files just wrapped up its six episode tenth season if that's what they're calling it it could not have been more misplaced now to a degree some of the episodes still felt very 90s, and that's fine. It felt like the old X-Files to a degree. That's not necessarily good either because it had the same problems that the X-Files had in the 90s. But the weird thing is with the characters now being in 2016, they didn't update the characters at all. 
I mean, there, there's a few. The only there was one episode out of the six that even addressed how much technology has changed in relation to what Mulder and Scully do, and that was the freaking comedy episode. What does that tell you about how little Chris Carter understood why people wanted the X Files back? He totally misunderstood why the X-Files needed to come back, and it needed to come back to embrace how much it changed since they went off the air in 2002. But he didn't. He just picked up right where he left off and kept going, making the same mistakes. Some people would say that's what he should have done. He should have just picked up right where he left off. Five of these six episodes being god-awful helped illustrate how, no, he shouldn't have, because he's the problem with the X-Files. Well, uh, to be fair, A, I haven't seen the new series yet, but I, I can speak on this one aspect of it, that sometimes the creator of, of a show or a series or a movie franchise become their own worst enemy. And we've seen this enough to recognize it. George Lucas, of course, is the most he's the easiest punching bag. You know, if you're going to go into politics, bring up Hitler. You want to talk about Franchise has gone wrong. Bring up George Lucas. But if you look at Gene Roddenberry, you know, the, the holy name of science fiction that you can't besmirch. And this man could have single handedly wrecked Star Trek if it was left fully in his hands. A lot of people I, I, I don't think we, recognize I think we that. saw that. It was called season one. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's even a documentary out. I couldn't believe that it's called Captain on the Bridge. And I couldn't believe they actually finally told the stories of about how Gene Roddenberry was not the greatest guy to work with on Next Generation. But that's not to put the man down. I'm just pointing out that there's a point at which you either have to let go or move on. And uh, from what I'm hearing about X-Files, maybe that's the case because there, there's an interesting thing about acknowledging nostalgia. Um, I was telling you I've been watching a TV show called Fringe. I, I didn't watch it during its original airing. I'm catching it now. One of the episodes in season two... Actually, we've been waiting for a particular storyline to come, you know, to learn more. And this one flashes back. And in a cute little nod, they actually redid the opening titles in a font and style that would have been done in the 80s. This was a nice little fun addition. And that's all that they did. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all that they had to do. You know what I mean? They didn't, you know, shoot it without digital technology or anything like that. They, they actually just did the opening. It was a nice nod. It sounds like to what you're saying to, to me, at least, about Dex Files is he's recreating the feel, the storyline, and the characters exactly as they were in the 90s. And that does not work. No, because to me, it's kind of insulting that the only episode to really acknowledge how much has changed is the episode that's the comedy one and not the five serious ones. But then at the same time, we have obviously we haven't seen this yet because I don't even know if they've started filming it, but Showtime is bringing back Twin Peaks. Now, mm -hmm. Twin Peaks is almost a quintessential 90s show. I mean, it's, it is David Lynch in control again, so it's the original creator. I'm not so I don't know if Twin Peaks can work today. I don't know if the entire idea of bringing Twin Peaks back on cable is nostalgic goggles run amok or if it's maybe Lynch, you know being an actual pretty good filmmaker, can actually do something different with it. I think if he decides to make the episodes as if he would have in the 90s, then it's going to fall flat on its face. If he decides to do something totally new with it, is it still nostalgia exploitation then? Or is it like, like the Transformers movies versus the cartoon? Is it just a different version of nostalgia exploitation? A very difficult question because 
you know, obviously we haven't seen it and we don't know what he's going to do. There's so many things we could point to in regards to this. On one hand, some things only exist in the period they were created. And I think that's one thing not just studios are guilty of that. Again, you were bringing up about audiences earlier. This is where I think audiences are wrong to pay out their dollars. Let's look at something like Lone Ranger, I think is a good example. Lone Ranger for its time within its time, I'm sure was a lot of fun. Neither of us was alive at that time. But I could see where kids of that time period and even adults would have had fun with that. But then you look at what came after and you know, the Wild Bunch, the Clint Eastwood years, you know, Sam Peckinpah, things got dark and gritty and Lonesome Dove in the 80s. And it's like, this is not a world that can work in anymore. Not in reality and not even in the world it was created in. It's just the Lone Ranger's time has passed. We've had a million other masked heroes. And right now we've got superheroes all over the place. It, his time is over. I'm not saying it's impossible to have recreated that feel, but I'm going to say it, it's dang near impossible. His time is over. I would even argue that, by the way, for Gem and the Holograms, personally. I, I think it fits its time period. And the only way it might have worked is if they said it in the 80s and they 80s the heck out of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they I, just I, that's, what I, that's what I was going to say. Full, is for yeah. Gem, yeah, for Gem and the Holograms, even the, the arguable story that was in the movie could have worked if it were set in the 80s. Set in the YouTube era, it just, it falls totally flat. Yeah, they needed to go like Wedding Singer, but I just thought of an example that's an interesting one about nostalgia but updating. This is going to be the weirdest example I could bring up, but the Brady Bunch movie, I think, is an interesting example of something that worked, where they somehow retained the spirit of the original characters and yet made it work in a modern environment. I, I can give uh, another example. 1987's Dragnet. Oh, two, the 19- yeah, there's some things that don't work, but yes, I'll agree with but, that. But overall, Dragnet feels like an actual update of the old Dragnet show to the point where it wasn't even a remake. It was an actual sequel since he was Joe Friday's nephew and Gannon is is in it as the new captain. So mm-hmm. that's a legitimate sequel that retained – because you tell me Dan Aykroyd was not a perfect new Joe Friday. Oh, and he he was a lot of fun. I mean, if its strength is its weakness that, you know, they built the whole film around that one idea that, wow, Dan does a great Joe Friday. And if they had worked the script out a little better, I think that could have become a classic. But I think they were in the right ballpark, though. I, I agree on that. I think they were in the they were aiming in the right direction. And that's kind of what it needs. Isn't nostalgia exploitation something that's not new? I mean, they've been doing this forever, but like I brought up Dragnet. Mm-hmm. Does anyone even remember that there was a new Dragnet in 1989 that lasted for two seasons? I didn't. Yeah, I watched it. I've got them all on tape. It lasted two full seasons of 44 episodes or 44 total episodes of it was called The New Dragnet. You know what show it was paired with? The New Adam 12. There was in, a block for you. People were in, in 1989 were probably asking who the hell wanted a new Dragnet? Who was who was dying for a new version of Adam-12? They might have even said the same thing in 1987. I was only 12, so I don't remember the scuttlebutt at the time, about Star Trek. We need a Star Trek the next generation? What's wrong with the old Star Trek? We're making the movies. Do we really need a the next generation? So I don't want people to say, oh, this is not something new. You guys are look You guys are looking at the topic through nostalgia glasses. No, no, no. This is not new. I get that. I just think it's more pervasive now and actually more crass somehow. 
again, because it doesn't have the love. You know, we could you can name positives and negatives in both camps. And whenever you look at the positives, I think you see love. I think you see care. Go back to the Adams family. Why would you even try to do the Adams family yet again? But they had all the right people. It was just that thing that came together. Just like Dragnet, that script was terrible. The characters and the actors and the bits in Adam's family were dead on. Just the script well, itself, the overall story was awful. Well, yeah, the whole thing about him losing the house and that, that was lame. But thankfully, in the case of the Adams family, if you go back and watch the original TV show, there are no plots. Okay, you know, they said Seinfeld was a show about nothing. <laughs> no, that was the Adams family. I loved but the old Adams family. Okay. I adore it. I'm a huge, trust me, I don't mean that as a negative. I'm. I'm a huge fan. I read, uh, I had the books of Charles Adams, the collection of all his cartoons from the New Yorker. And I'm a Morticia fanatic. Morticia was one of my thing. first TV crushes. Oh, good grief. Yes. Uh, and, uh, to, but to stay on track though. Yes. The movie was wonderful and I still watch it. The first one, by the way, the second, eh, the sheen was off a little bit, but it's still fun to watch. But there's, again, that's an example of, I think what you're seeing is love. And, you know, they put care into the casting and there's, in fact, there you go. That's really nostalgic because they even used panels right out of Charles Adams cartoons in that movie. Like well, literal Raul, Raul Julian and Angelica Houston could not have been more perfectly cast. You know, and here's the thing. Before this was made, if you had said to me, you know, we're going to recast Morticia and Gomez and do them exact, you know, as good as, if not better than the original show. I would have laughed at you. I'd be, no, man, you're not gonna top them. They were, come on, they're they're perfect. But then you see Raul Julia, especially. I, I gotta tell you, I Raul Julia, especially. That man is having so much fun in that movie. He captured the I, manic energy that John that John Aston had in the '60s. He did it. He did it. I, I, you know, Angelica Houston, and I'm not putting her down. She's amazing in it. But, you know, she's more dour, you know, quiet. Tish is a very restrained character. Very. But Gomez is, that's lightning in a bottle. And somehow Julia did it. You know, from the first time he pops up on screen when uh, the, uh, their uh, book guy comes in and the sword misses his head, you know, it goes into the door right next to his head. The camera zooms in on Gomez and he goes, ah, missed. You knew you had a new Gomez, like in a second. And so, again, it was love and affection. And Barry Sonnenfeld talked about how much he loved the Adams family. And guess what? We live in a cynical age. You're supposed to look down on that stuff. You're not supposed to love it. Oh, that's old. I'm only into new stuff. That's the biggest problem. You watch these things and all they do is put it down. They put down the 80s. They put down the time period. They put down the clothes and the it's like, look, OK, you, you want to live in the future, the present to the new future. I get it. I'm with you. I'm here, too. There was a there was a lot of fun back then. And when but you like approach the, something snarky, eh, it loses something. Well, like the cynicism is, is one of the main problems here. Look at the RoboCop remake. They go out of their way to make fun of the costume and the special effects in the original film. And you go, who was that for? Who did you put those snarky jokes in there for? To piss off the people who were fans of the original or the fans of the that you're hoping you get of the new one who don't know what the originals were? Again, it's who was your audience? I think there, there's also an earnestness in how movies have changed in general. 
Because, like, okay, when Masters of the Universe 1987 was made, Canon was in financial trouble, but it was, you know, it was all practicals. You know, they had models and some stop motion and stuff. But today, if let's say John Woo gets to make his He-Man movie. It's going to be $150 million CG gasm all over the screen, and it won't feel like He-Man. Even if he recreates the style and look, it won't feel like He-Man anymore, will it? Because movies have changed so much in how they're made. It's like the, the Stephen Summers G.I. Joe movie. Could have been a good movie. He had the spirit of G.I. Joe there, but filled with CGI and the snarky characters and Channing Tatum's lack of acting ability and all that. And it's like that, it felt like a modern movie. It didn't feel like a G.I. Joe movie. So, I mean, movies have changed to the point where you, you can't nostalgisploitate that's even a term, the way you used to be able to. I mean, like, like, let's go back to Dragnet. When Dragnet By the was way, made... can, I'd like to counter, can I counter one quick thing, though? Sure. One quick thing. I'll disagree on one point, that right now we are beginning to see a renaissance in that area where CGI is being downplayed. It's, it's, it's happening. It's slowly happening, but it is happening. They did that G.I. Joe sequel. There was a lot less of it in there. And, of course, the, the biggest example that I think you're ignoring, and this is why I brought it up, Star Wars. Star Wars was so retro that they stole the entire plot to A New Hope. But they're, they're trying to go back to practical sets. I, it could happen. It could happen. It, we just got to wait and see. But I agree with your initial point. We're in a different time, a different age. You're never going to get rid of CGI. That's here to stay. And I, I, I think that's fine. But I do see they seem to be going back a little bit now. So I'll disagree just on that one point. We're, we're getting more practical sets again. All right. Well, I'm just saying in general, the way movies are made now, it's different, especially look, let's look at the way movies are marketed now. Now a, a, a movie is marketed not to what its audience should be, but to what its audience might be. Like a Transformers movie. I mean, let's face it. These are kids movies. These are movies made for kids with the mentality of a 12-year-old boy, but they're not marketed to 12-year-olds. They're marketed to 35-year-old boys. That's part of the problem. I agree. In fact, you brought up Steven Spielberg earlier, and it was Steven Spielberg, not Michael Bay. It was Steven Spielberg that said, I want Transformers to be about a boy and his car. And so when everybody says, why aren't we watching the Transformers fight? Why do we keep going back to Shia LaBeouf running away and a, a tiny little robot humping his leg? No, 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 no. Right there. He wanted a story about a boy in his car. And it's like, no, this is about giant toys beating the crap out of each other. Which, by the way, how funny is it that every other movie we see is nothing but Giant ships attacking each other, giant this attacking each other, giant that attacking each other. And the one movie we freaking want to see it, we're watching Shia LaBeouf getting humped by a little tiny robot. Let's look at Transformers, the modern Michael Bay, Steven Spielberg movies, versus the 1987 Transformers the movie. Mm. Critics railed against Transformers the movie in 1987 for having no story and nothing but fights and an excuse to sell toys. Yet... They, they attempted to look at the Steven Spielberg, Michael Bay movies with like some sort of a weird critical eye instead of giving it the – because really, there, there's just as little story in the 1987 movie as there is in the modern movie. But the modern movie got a pass on that because, you know, Steven Spielberg. Because really, look at the 1987 Transformers. The same criticisms leveled against it should have been leveled against the modern movie but weren't. Does that say something about how – okay, we said movie making changed. 
has criticism changed in relation to these things as well? A, yes. And B, in, in this is where the time period does play a big factor. Uh, it wasn't like critics were unaware of what was going on with toys back then. It's well known that both He-Man and Transformers were shows to sell toys. The animated Transformer film is infamous because it killed off all the original characters, brought in newer characters, or highlighted smaller characters. I'll stop you there. Jazz, Bumblebee, and Cliffjumper made it. Three originals lived. I said, or were updated. Uh, I'm like, I'm a nerd. Forward. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah. No, I didn't. And I didn't deny it. Uh, but the point here is that this was done so they could make new toys to sell more toys. That was the main reason. If you want to talk about looking at something through nostalgia goggles, though, I got to be honest with you. I love watching that stupid little movie. I don't care if it is oh, the nine and a half quick commercial. It's fantastic. It's Oh, I love it. It's so much fun. And again, I think that has more to do with the people that were making it. If you just, we won't go into it, but we go look at the names. You'll see a lot of people who were involved with that, that loved their job. And again, I think it's, you can see it. It's, it's sort of like Batman, the animated series. You know, it's a very beloved thing now. The best part of that movie was how Orson Welles described it because he, he basically described what the modern movies are. He said he was asked about it, and he didn't understand his role as Unicron. He said, I think I'm a toy that eats other toys. <laughs> He's not wrong, but no. isn't that kind of as shallow as the Michael Bay, Steven Spielberg movies are, too? But yet they're not called shallow for that. They're called shallow for other th- reasons. I, I was going to say, yeah, they're called shallow. Uh, but again, they the new ones missed it. They They missed the point. We wanted to see the giant dumb robots fight <laughs> that's all people wanted man they just wanted to see giant toy robots fight that's it on that same note you also have the fact that what whenever they update these things from the nostalgia they change everything like mm-hmm. you tell me if if the characters had not been called starscream and megatron and you know jazz and whatnot that you would have gone yes that is absolutely the same character you would have looked at it as generic robot number one is throwing generic robot number two through a wall, but the two generic robots happen to be called Optimus Prime and Megatron because they mm-hmm. didn't look or act anything like their old counterparts. So what's the point of nostalgia exploitation, like the Gem and the Holograms movie, if you change everything? Again, it's just a matter of there's a lot of hands involved, and if they don't love what they're doing, if they don't love the product they're a part of, you start to see changes that are unnecessary and unwanted. They don't love it. They, they. That's it. I, I'm repeating myself, but I don't know what else to say, honestly, because I think we've hit that impasse. These people don't love these products. It's sort of like I'm a little miffed at Daniel Craig right now. You, you know this. I'm a huge James Bond guy. I love James Bond. I don't care how many movies I've, I've actually make heard. These. Yes, uh, I, I've privately heard his rant against Spectre. He's he he says these things about Bond all the time, and there's these little jet. And I'm like, why are you playing him then? Leave, leave the role. Give it to somebody else who would adore playing this character. You know, they hired Sam Mendes, and it's like he was infamous for saying, "Oh no, Bond films." <laughs> But then he got the job on Skyfall and was like, oh, but I really love Bond films. It's like, come on, you know, give these films to people who love them. And uh, but my point is that I think that's it. I just don't think they love this stuff. They what you said, they're cynical and it's a cash grab. And that's it. That's 
all it is for them. And so why would they care? Why do they care what color that robot is or if he talked a certain way or if he said a certain thing? I mean, Optimus, I'd say Optimus, they got him pretty good. But I would agree the rest of them, it was a mishmash. Again, there's some things that are a product of their time. It's it's just why I said there could never be a new Rockford Files. Uh, I think Vince Vaughn is still working on this. I don't know. The simple fact of the matter is, is that you will never replace James Garner. You know, the show was just a fairly average detective style show, but it was the actors that were in that show that made it special. And sometimes that's just an element you cannot replace, period. That said, if people want to get nostalgia about Fred Fritz, where would they do so? Well, currently the only place uh, you can even contact me or reach me is through my Facebook uh, movie apocalypse. So that's it right now. Uh, just type in movie apocalypse. You'll find me. Uh, I'm wearing a gas mask against a, uh, a brick wall uh, as the scavenger. But uh, we're going to be doing some changes uh, this year and uh, hopefully actually have a, a, a real working site soon. Well, if you want to get nostalgic about my garbage, you can go to 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Hey guys, I'm Bonnie McKee. Are you ready to sweat? Because today, I'm bringing Bombastic.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.